Hello and welcome to The After Show, where we explore the message behind the message. Uh, if you're not already following us on YouTube, like and subscribe uh, to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to this, make sure you subscribe uh, so you can get more of this content. My name is Peter Heald. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and today I have with me Pastor Erica Sandstrom. How's it going? Hello. It's good. How are you? I'm doing well, all good. the way from over there. <laughs> so again, this uh, podcast, we are kind of going into... Uh, some of the content that was covered this weekend by Pastor Michael Grove. Uh, and then, of course, we'll also just talk about some stuff that's on our heart and that we connect with as well. Uh, so for those of you watching or listening, if you have not, you should go probably listen to Pastor Michael Grove's uh, message as well. We're in this series called uh, What to Believe. It's a little play on words, you see. So um, Pastor Erica, yes. we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Uh, what is your least favorite fruit? Oh, let me think about which ones there are. <laughs> Patience. I was actually thinking like an actual fruit. I love that you oh. went straight. I was like, you know, bananas, they get mushy. Oh. And you're like, Patience. Patience um, is the worst. Tomatoes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That was a trick there. Mm -hmm. That was good. Mm -hmm. That was good. Mm -hmm. Well, anyways, so uh, Pastor Michael talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And he kind of went in a different direction. I mean, you know, we're both pastors. I'm sure I, I have preached on the fruit of the Spirit many times. I'm sure you have as well. Um, but it was interesting because he kind of went right into uh, Genesis at, at the very beginning, and which I feel like is always a power play in the preaching world of like, you know, I'm, I'm going all the way back to the very first notes. But um, I thought it was interesting because he's talking about Genesis. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and, and creation and all of this. Uh, well, I'm excited because uh, you are, you have your master's in Old Testament theology, right? Let me just talk for you. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to hear from you what your perspective, even some of what you've studied, um, you know, tell us a little bit about this passage and um, kind of what it, what it means for you and what you've seen in it before. Yeah. So yes, my master's and my bachelor's are both in Old Testament. So um, it's interesting, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 are probably some of the most controversial uh, passages to study or chapters to study in Scripture, just because they are deemed as the beginning of Scripture. But for me, and the way that I understood it and the way that it's been taught to me is that it sets the pace for the rest of the redemptive story that unfolds progressively through Scripture. So chapters 1 and 2 identify God as the authoritative, sovereign creator of the entire universe. And then it also identifies humankind as these image bearers. They represent God, um, and they're called to partner with him in working the ground. And th their purpose is to make the rest of creation look like Eden. Uh, and then chapter 3 shows how they reject that calling. So they basically say, we have two choices. We're going to choose the other side. And that's the direction that they go in. So the rest of scripture is that story of how God redeems what they did. Yeah. I love that you said that it's controversial. And I'm just thinking of, you know, of all, I have multiple books on my bookshelf that, you know, are talking about uh, just the early chapters of Genesis and how so many of them, uh, if, if the authors got in a room, they would all be disagreeing with each other. And so it is, it's, to me, that makes it fun. To, to me, whenever somebody's just like, oh, this is exactly how it is, and there's, there's no other way to, to view this, there's no other interpretations, I'm always like, really? Yeah. And, and so I, I think that's so cool. But um, one of the questions, and we mentioned this earlier when we were talking outside of the world of this podcast, uh, was simply the fact that, you know, Genesis was not written 
for the world of TikTok uh, and, and YouTube. This is not the original people reading it. Uh, and not to say that how we uh, understand it or interpret it, just directly reading it isn't doesn't have some value. Um, but to me, you know, whenever it goes, the older the book, the more I want to know who was this written for and, and what did they get out of it. Um, and I love, you know, Pastor Michael, he's talking this sermon and he's talking about uh, the the darkness and the void and like the, you know, before creation. Uh, and I feel like we kind of skimmed over the fact that there's this mention of waters. And I'm, what, do, what do I do with the fact that Genesis 1 gets into it and, um, and I can pull it up and, and read it here. I don't have it uh, in my notes, but... You know, Genesis 1 talks about, in the beginning, we all know that, and I feel like that's the one that, that we hop to. It's Genesis 1, in the beginning. Just give me a second here. I'm reading from the ESV. God created the heavens and the earth. We know that, right? Never, great. Sounds good. And then he goes, the earth was without form and void. Okay. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, Pastor Erica, was the Pacific Ocean around before the creation of the world? I do not know, <laughs> but I would say yes and no. <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah. So I think uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project puts it in a great, uh, into great perspective, like scripture as a whole. Uh, he says that when you're landing in a different country, if you're going to visit, you don't get out, out of the plane and then just demand that everything be the way that you want it to be or the way you understand it in a different country. Instead, you should, if you have manners, you're going to get out of the plane and then carry on and try to learn and adapt to that culture, their history, um, their way of doing things. Yeah. So we're walking into Genesis. Yes. Not This is not our place. Right. We need so to we have to, to go it. into it aware of the original audience. Genesis and all of scripture, keep in mind who they are. And God is revealing himself to Jewish people. So when he speaks to them about this or anything, it's always in their understanding, their cultural understanding of, in this sense, the cosmos. So how did Israel already understand it? Cos the, cosmos being... All of creation. How how it's structured, what yes. it looks like, all of that. Yes. Where's and, the moon? Where's the sun? Right. And yeah. so he's going to speak to Israel in the way that they already have an idea of it based on of other people, groups around them that have an idea of it. Yeah. And so they, in that context, they understood it as a three-tiered uh, structure. Okay. So you had the heavens, which would have been the sky, the land, and then water under the land and water surrounding all of that. Yeah, so which they, is entirely different than how we would understand oh, yes. it today, right? Yes, they I viewed mean, it like a, it was like a crescent, like yeah. a half moon flat over this water. Yeah, you're telling me the earth is flat. And the Bible is proof of it. It's a joke. <laughs> that Please. That's not what I'm saying. Please, it's a joke. <laughs> no, so. But they understood the actual, like, how the earth existed and what was above it and below it. Yes. It was very, a different understanding. Yes. Than how we understand yes. it. Yes. Like, we actually think of the sky, we think of the blue sky. Mm -hmm. And then we think of the heavens as this other place where God is. They saw it as the same thing. Yeah. So, um, when God talks about, these six days uh, and the chaos that's there, he's talking about bringing order into it. And so he does that on those six days. Um, so verse one is actually setting the pace for the rest of the story, uh, for the rest of this passage and what he's going to do. And then verse two starts from there, like explaining, it addresses what verse one says, that there's a void, there's darkness. Um, the biblical writers, they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand 
uh, the void and the darkness as anything but uh, something that needs order. So there's nothing there. It's pre-reality before we know it. So to them, it's just something that's there and God's spirit is in the midst of it and he brings order to it in those six to seven days. Yeah, so it's it's kind of their way of expressing the fact that how do you explain nothing? How do you, how do you explain like there wasn't right. stuff? So deep water sounds fancier than wasn't stuff. Right. So this this deep abyss, it is water, but it's it's also this idea of nothingness of but of like chaos, but chaos in the sense that it needs order, yeah. not chaos in the sense that it's um in the sense that it's bad. Got it. Cuz there's a lot of we say chaos today and you know, if I if I'm going to think of a chaotic situation, it's going to be uh, you know, my my daughter's birthday party with the whole family over and like plates of food are getting dropped and it's getting crazy like normally if if given the option between chaos and something else today we're going to choose something else but their use of chaos is it's more just it's absence of creation yes there's nothing there aren't any inhabitants there's nothing there so it is. It's their way of explaining this is how God created it. This is how we came to be by this sovereign Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. That's yeah. how we got here. Yeah. Now, is there any translation? Um, maybe that's not the right word, but okay, we're talking about there's God bringing order out of chaos in Genesis 1, but we're saying chaos isn't how we think of it today. Right. What? How does that translate to now when, you know, when we think of things as being chaotic today? Uh, is it the same, should we have the same expectation of God bringing order to that chaos? Um, or, or is that just kind of a totally different conversation than what Genesis 1 is talking about? I think it's both. <laughs> it's usually where I go with uh, theology is um, there. a lot of times we think everything is really black and white in Scripture, and, and there are a lot of things that are black and white, but there's some gray too, and that's okay. Um, one of my professors always talks about how you have to leave room for the ambiguity because if you don't, uh, that's when you can lean on the other side where you stop believing because you want an answer for everything. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of times where I'm, I've become okay with it. I've been forced to with doctoral work. You just have to get to the point where you just accept that there aren't any answers. But I think that one of the best things I can describe, and especially for you, just having had your third son, yes. is, um, well, your third talk, child. Talk about chaos. Son. Three yes. kids. There we go. Is like a, a woman's womb. Everything is there that's needed to have the baby besides, well, you know, the act that needs to be done. But everything's there. And then God forms a baby. Yeah. Right? And so in that sense, whether it's just a womb isn't bad, a womb is good, Right? Um, but there can also be bad. So God can bring order to bad and to just something that needs to be created because that's what he does. He creates. Um, so, yeah, I think that it can be both. I think that God can bring order to chaos, whether that's confusion, anxiety, whatever, yeah. or order to just something that needs to be developed and structured because he knows how that works. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Words are fun, aren't they? There are tons of fun, and especially when they're in a different language. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's what... You know, we'll get practical in a second here, but I feel like for you and I, some of what we enjoy about Scripture is simply the fact that you can't just you can't just read one English translation of the Bible and go, oh, it says waters. I know what water is. I took swimming lessons. You have to, it's it's a whole nother. Uh, it's written in a different language. It's 
originally written to someone else. Not that it's not for us, but it wasn't written to us, if that makes sense, if, if I'm saying that right. Um, and so I think you and I, we both enjoy the fact that uh, once you've read through the Bible once, you, you, haven't, you haven't just explored everything. And so I think uh, we, brought, we both can really relate to the fact that like, hey, there's, there's always something more to it. You know, we can talk about how does God bring order to chaos and what order means and what chaos means can mean different things in yeah. different conversations. Yeah. I always say it is beautifully complex. It's so deep. And to handle it on a surface level, it just, you're not getting all of it. So you got to go deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What would you say to people who, okay, you're getting your, you have your master's in Old Testament theology. You're working on your PhD. I mean, uh, I feel like there's a lot of times where folks come to you, uh, I, I get a little bit of it being a pastor, but I think you being really more in the scholastic world, people come to you and say, you know, well, what does this mean? And how do you explain this? And um, what would you say to folks who they they don't know how to study the Bible and, and you know, approach it in the resources in the way that you have where they're going, okay, it says waters, I got waters. What would you say to people who are maybe feel limited by us geeking out and going, well, actually, did you know, did you know? Because I don't want to scare people away from feeling like they can uh, know God more or understand the Bible more. And like, you know, do you need a PhD <laughs> to understand the Bible? Um, what would you say to people who are just like, hey, I'm not, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I love God and I want to know him more. How, how can anybody do that? Um, I think it's all a matter of getting the right resources. Um, I can sit here and I can tell people, well, you know, it matters to think about the context. And, but the truth of the matter is that this, the context as a whole is it's God's redemptive story. It's not a science book. It's not a, a book on biology. It's, it's a book on God's redemptive work throughout history, especially Israel's history. And so I can sit here and say that to someone, but it's still, each book still has its own context. And then each passage has its own context. So the best thing is resources. If you don't want to go to school for it um, and pay a lot of money. Um, the best thing is resources and then finding the right resources. And that's where we would come along to say, you know, you want to look at these kinds of authors or these kinds of um, publications just because, um, well, we're Pentecostals. And then you have other denominations that have produced literature that's great. But sometimes if you're not aware, you can start looking at other uh, denominations and take what they're saying and then put it on, on our stuff and, it's not bad. You should be able to see what other people believe, but it can be some cer certain things can be harmful, like the Holy Spirit. Um, somebody else from a different denomination will look at the Holy Spirit completely different than we do. And if you're not aware, you could then just form a belief about the Holy Spirit based off of that. Yeah. So being aware of your resources, a good study Bible, the ESV study Bible is one of the best um, that's out there. Yeah. It has so much information and it's easy to uh resource to yeah. use. So. Yeah. And I think even just one of the things I know you and I enjoy, yes, we're on a podcast, but I would say at least once a week, we have some sort of theological discussion and it's always, you know, well, what does this passage mean? How do you apply, you know, this theological conversation to, to life? And, um, I know for, for me personally, just conversations with people, um, and not just conversations where it's like, hey, isn't this totally right? Yes, it's totally right. right. But where I think even you and I uh, will have our, our disagreements or sometimes I'll just challenge you for the sake of challenging you just to see what happens. Um, but I think even, you know, as a church, that's our goal too, to say, hey, we want to help people know God. Um, but then getting involved in a small group, so much of that I think is about 
not just, hey, have relationships with people that think the exact same as you, but hey, be open to having a conversation with people who maybe see something a little bit different um, or are further down the road. Or, uh, you know, I, I know some of the uh, older folks in this church that I like talking to them simply for the fact that they have had more years to study the Bible. Uh, and sometimes they say things that it's like, oh, wow, that's really enlightening. Sometimes they say things that I'm like, I'm going to go check up on that one. That seems a little interesting. Right. Um, but it's, I, I think, again, you know, if, if the church is, is supposed to be unifying and if that is kind of how we're supposed to operate as God's people, mm-hmm. it's, that's a great way as well. to Yeah, yeah, for sure. The biblical concept, actually, of fellowship isn't just social interaction. It's talking and praying together about the Lord and, and discussing. Yes, and coffee. Coffee is included in food usually. That's the Hebrew, right? Yes. yes. And the Hebrew <laughs> fellowship just means coffee. Right, right. That's, okay, it, sure. <laughs> again, why you probably should get a good study Bible. <laughs> yes. But I want to talk about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, if that's, are you cool with that? Yes. Let's yes. Let's talk fruit of the Spirit. Okay. So, um, you know, Pastor Michael had this awesome illustration, which, again, if you haven't uh, seen the sermon or listened to it, uh, I would actually recommend watching it on our YouTube or on the Calvary app uh, because he does this illustration where, which is just like, that's like vintage church object lesson to me, is he had, you know, it's like a white cloth and he talks about our purity and then he puts something on it, which it looks like iodine, but uh, it's some chemistry thing and, you know, just... Uh, the the stain that is sin and how it impacts us. And then when we have sin, we go into the world, you know, it, it muddies up the whole thing. So he's putting it in this jar and the jar of, of liquid is getting dirty. But then he talks about the healing of Christ. Um, and then he puts the fabric into uh, the healing of Christ. And, and, you know, either by the magic of the Holy Spirit or some sort of chemistry, the, the fabric gets white. Um, and so, you know, he's just using this as an illustration to say, uh, that, you know, we all struggle with sin. Uh, I know I'm not always a perfect person. Y- you may be, but maybe not. You're a perfect person. <laughs> no, far uh, from it. Yeah, so w- we all still struggle with sin, but he talks about just how, you know, Christ has freed us from sin and, and how we can have uh, freedom in him. Um, so how does this whole thing work out? You got fruit of the Spirit, you got Holy Spirit, but then we're also still living in sin. You went to school for this. Explain. Yes. So the way that I understand it, which makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Always a good start. <laughs> right. Is that, so if you picture a, a courtroom, mm-hmm. we're just going to go there. This is probably an illustration most people have heard. And you're standing before the judge, who's God. Um, in the moment that Jesus did what he did and God's redemptive goal was accomplished in Jesus, anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord, accepts Jesus Christ as Lord, they are identified as sanctified, um, what are the other ones? Sanctified, delivered, anointed, all of those things. Yeah. Um, but that, that means that you're identified that way. So as one could explain it, it's like when God looks at me before me, he sees Jesus standing in front of me. So he always sees Jesus instead of me and all of my sin. He sees yeah. what Jesus has done. In that case, that means that you are identified that way. That doesn't mean that the work is all completed when it comes to sanctification. So in the Greek, especially in the the New Testament, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times when he's talking about his work, it's it's not in the tense that that communicates a completed action. It's an ongoing action. 
So you are identified as sanctified, but the sanctifying process is ongoing. Yeah. And it's a constant thing. Even when he talks about um, being renewed by the re renewal of your mind, um, it's just a constant process that you go through. Sanctification, it's not just a one-time thing. You're done and you'll never struggle with sin again. That's just not real. Because going back to Genesis 3, what God says is, now that you've done this, these are the effects. This is how life is going to be from now on. So we struggle with it. Do we want, we mature? Yes. Can we be delivered from certain sins? Yes. But that doesn't mean the temptation just goes away. That's a part of the life we live in now. Yeah. And so um, you may become stronger, develop that muscle that can say no to certain things, but that doesn't mean that it entirely goes away forever and you never struggle with sin again. You're constantly growing yeah, and yeah. becoming more like Christ progressively. Yeah. And, and I love that you talk about that courtroom because that's not something you're just making up. I mean, so much, especially I think in, in the New Testament epistles, that courtroom uh, metaphor is, is used a lot. And so even the way we, the way we currently talk about our relationship to God and, and justification and all of that. I mean, that comes out of that courtroom language. So, you know, let's just, let's just keep it flowing. Yeah. So, um, you know, fruit of the spirit is an interesting thing for me because I remember a conversation I had uh, with a teacher in college uh, and I was at the time, you know, I love sleep. I, I say that I'm very good at it. Uh, I'm, I'm better than most. Uh, I could sleep for, you know, probably, at least 11, 12 hours a day. Nice. I, I could do it. I could, I could do it every day, just no questions asked. But um, life, life has called me to, you know, wake up. But I remember a conversation with a teacher about how I wanted to be more uh, disciplined. You know, discipline is a fruit of the Spirit. I want to be more disciplined. And I was kind of listing off to her of like, hey, here's all these fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, if I gave myself like a 1 to 10 ranking on each one, here's a 10, here's a 9, you know, this one's a 5. Uh, and, and I felt like, you know, my, my discipline is kind of lacking. So how do I, how do I up my discipline? And um, I remember the conversation because what she said to me now, I'm like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. But at the moment it was just, it was a huge paradigm shift uh, because I was very much like, okay, if I can just get all the fruit of the spirit, then like, we're good. I'm, I'm the person I want to be. Um, and she kind of encouraged me in an opposite direction to say, hey, it's, it's great. You want to be disciplined. You know, I was talking about uh, setting routines and scheduled for myself and having a, you know, making sure I went on a run or whatever so many times a week. Uh, but she kind of encouraged me just, you know, the fruit of the spirit is the fruit. Mm -hmm. and, and just like if you want a healthy apple tree, yeah, you, you need to look and see, you know, if your apples are rotten or they're growing eyes, something's wrong with the tree. But it's, it's a result of what the tree is. Um, and so she was just kind of encouraging me, hey, why don't you seek God first? Why don't you seek his kingdom first? And then maybe just hear me out could be crazy, but maybe the rest will follow. Um, maybe he'll establish your, your footsteps. Um, and it was, it was really kind of gave me a, a lot of peace because while of course, you know, I, I love and hate self-help books all at the same time. Cause I, I, you know, you know me, I like every other page in my journal is my 10 year goals or whatever. Um, but there was certainly a sense of peace to go, okay, I maybe don't have it all together. I maybe uh, have a lot of room for improvement. But if I just keep focusing on trying to improve, it doesn't necessarily mean I'll ever find God. And if, you, if I focus on God and his love and the relationship that I have with him and have available to me, then I might actually see some of that fruit. And so um, it's just kind of 
always been an interesting thing to me that if you want the fruit, you should probably seek God. Um, and so, but if you only seek the fruit, you might not get the fruit and you won't get God either. Right. right. So, yeah. So I think one of the things that we miss oftentimes is that our relationship with God is very much like our relationships with anyone else. It's a two way street. And that is something that, uh, in Genesis 3, the biblical writers aren't communicating that everything good is just not good anymore. Um, there are, there's still good, like the image of God in us. It's still in us. Is it, is it skewed now a little bit? Yes, because it's affected, but it's not ruined. And so there's still good. And so the relationship that God establishes with Adam and Eve in the garden, that's still possible. Um, and, and it was a two-way street. They walked with him. They talked with him. I mean, probably other divine uh, beings in the garden. And so now, even though our relationship with God is not what it could have been, certain things are still the same. It's a two-way street. Just like in your marriage or your friendships, you want to check in with each other, see how you're doing, um, have fun together, go out and do things together, spend time together. It's the same thing with God. So when you're seeking God, by default, the more time you spend with him, you become more like him. And so you receive more of the fruit. Um, I think a lot of times we expect that if we just come to church once a week or twice a week and we get in a small group, we'll just magically become differently. But it takes your effort and the Spirit's effort. And it's almost like you meet each other halfway. Most of the time, the Spirit's going to come more than halfway because, well, he's just better than us. But as you spend time with him, you grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And so it, it is something that's developed over time. But yes, the best thing to do is rather than seeking the fruit is seeking who the fruit comes from who's the spirit. (laughs) So the more time you spend with him, the more you uh, develop, you know, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things. But it takes time. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good summary too, to simply say out of all of that, everything we've talked about, spend time with God, Mm -hmm. focus on that relationship, Mm -hmm. and then you can watch what fruit will come in your life. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, my hope for everybody is that you have learned something new today that maybe you're a little bit more curious about God uh, and his word, the Bible as well. Um, But that's all the time we have today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, uh, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Please go ahead and like, subscribe. And we want to have a conversation with you. Uh, Answer in the comments. Did you learn something? Any questions you have? Uh, What does water mean to you? So uh, follow us, and of course, all of our sermons are there as well for you to listen to. Pastor Michael Grove gave the sermon that we kind of talked about today. Uh, So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.